Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. From the glow of St. Paul's number one, welcome to another edition of Cabin Country. Give us the time and we'll take you out of the traffic and away from the levee. Let's find the place where the loons call out among the moonlit waves, where the wind sighs among the Norway pines. Let's get to cabin country. Now here's Bjorn Lloydstead, and I'm Fudd Klugman with another Woodland Escape. Pull up a dock chair, have a sip of your coffee, and get a line in the water. This is Cabin Country. All right, a pleasure to be back with you on Cabin Country. I'm Bjorn Lloydstead, and next to me is Fudd Klugman. Hello. Good to hear you again, Fudd. There were some teething troubles again tonight, so I'm glad we could get past that. Why doesn't Don have it all figured out? You know, you'd think Don, as the professional's professional, would have this all squared away by this point, but uh, anyway, what are you going to do? Well, I've been... Well, we thought maybe tonight we'd just, as kind of a... Walk down memory lane, as that seems to be where we tend to head with Cabin Country. A look at some of the many sailing vessels, the mighty boats we've put to sea over the history of time. You know, we're not just rank amateurs here. That's right. We have uh, we have been known to uh, to uh, get a hull in the water, and uh, well, I for one started uh, long, long ago watching dear old dad and myself pull voraciously on a starter cord. I believe we started with a Johnson 5 horse on a 12-foot aluminum Lund. The silver hull, the almost as wide as it is long, excuse me, and not going very fast. That was the first boat we ever had. I don't know. What about what about yourself? Right. We also had a Johnson, like 1958, five and a half horse. <laughs> <laughs> five ass. Five ass horse. <laughs> <laughs> Don, do, do something about that. Don. Don, uh, come on. Five and a half horsepower Johnson. 1958, 1960. That's that the green. old green paint oh, job yes. on the kind of rounded. Uh, beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Of course, a beautiful antique. And we had it working until just recently. But it was that, and it was a 16 foot uh, 1964 Sea Queen. And the, just hand painted. The uh, license numbers on the side of the boat. That's cool, I mean, I mean, you know what? I kind of miss that because everything else. I mean, everything now is you know, it's been done in a shop by someone with an airbrush or oh yeah, or you've gone to uh, you know a hardware store and bought in the reflective letters. That That's right. Numbers and, and you'll see them in the dark because Lord knows you're doing some midnight fishing in that twelve foot with the five horse that <laughs> has a tendency to quit working in the daylight when you can see what you're doing. I just remember being a kind of a kid that wanted some speed. Oh, yeah. And the five horse and the 12 foot aluminum, or the 16 foot in your case, the Sea Queen, you know, that was, that was enough to get out there and, and troll around and launch uh, many a fishing excursion. Well, we, uh, we tired of the 12 foot, and I, I remember distinctly my mom fearing she couldn't swim. So there was a lot of uh, nervous clutching at wooden seats and terror as this thing would kind of hit any of the wake from the speedboats that were coming by, I always kind of had to ask myself, it's one in the afternoon, the sun is shining, I don't know that one in the afternoon is a 
prime fishing time, but when you've got people water skiing, you know, 30 feet from you <laughs> in a 12-foot boat with a, a non-swimmer, uh, it made for some interesting times. So we graduated to, I, I think we moved up to a 16-foot, and this one was not aluminum. This was like a, a polyglass kind of frame. Interesting, interesting hull. And then we went uh, equally, you know, the, the Johnson 5 was that lovely kind of oval rounded kind of housing for the motor right we went to the very squarish uh kind of jet age looking 60s evinrude 18 horse wow and all of a sudden we could move a lot faster and it wasn't rocking like crazy every time a boat came by but there was that now interestingly enough with the 18 horse and the the 16 foot boat my dad had it in his mind that i could now water ski behind this thing which kind of worked when I was about seven <laughs> but I think I I think I may have mentioned this at one point I'm not even sure so feel free to stop me if I have but my dad bought a, a knee board because that would be easier and uh, at one point he was on it and my sister was running the 18 horse and I was up on the shore watching this watching them come by and my dad was on his knees on this knee board being pulled by an 18 horse Evan Rude wide open and he <laughs> He was drawing awake from around his neck. I mean, he, that was, all you saw was his hands, the, t- the the handle of this thing that was wobbling like crazy. There was no stabilizer fin on it. It was just like a, a plank. And then, you know, he's it's hands, handle, and his neck and head looking terrified <laughs> as this thing. And he couldn't. we couldn't get it going any faster. So that, that lasted for a while. And then, then we graduated. We graduated. Eventually, uh, an uncle of mine was selling uh, about a 16-foot tri-hull Lund fiberglass tri-hull uh, with a with a used, of course, used Johnson 50-horse outboard on the back. That's and, big. Uh, it was big. I mean, from where I was coming from, that I, we'd arrived finally. Yeah. Because <laughs> that thing might even go 30, 35 miles an hour with two, two of us in the boat, and it was very stable. Say what you will about the tri-hull, but man, they were hard to hard to get moving. They were, you know, side to side, so the wakes never bothered us. So that was kind of where we ended up. But as I recall, Fod, uh, you had you had a couple different vessels, and, yeah. and perhaps still do. Well, right, hanging onto them was kind of the, the scanoo. We still have the scanoo. Now, who makes? I, and I don't. It's a, get it's a, a Coleman. That's a Coleman scanoo. So Coleman scanoo. Kind of an ad hoc canoe that you can put a small motor on the back it's got a flat yeah the stern is square right so you can yeah. get a motor on it right. not a big one i mean if you not a big one but in our case like in a, we did finally get an electric trolling motor for it but uh, i did remember that we did have a, a fiberglass speed boat if you can call it that it was from the 70s early 70s i think and i think it was orange and white i don't know the make and model uh, and the V-hull motor, or a tri-hull? But, uh, I, I would say that was a uh, V-hull. Okay, all right. But again, it, the motor was so weak, uh, you know, 18 horses or less. And even pulling us uh, prepubescent boys, it was just barely keeping us afloat on the skis. But uh, so there was that. And then we, got, then we finally got rid of that. But they also, the other thing were the pontoons. You ever had any pontoons growing up? Oh, I never, never. I, uh, I know my mom loved the look of it and thought that would just be wonderful. Good and boy, stable. are they stable. Oh, you're, yes. not, you're not going anywhere unless you want to on a pontoon. <laughs> but yeah, we never did it. Never did it. Yeah, we did. I, my, one of my brothers had this great idea. He was doing some uh, day labor for a, a man over in Stillwater who uh, had this rusty old pontoon in the in his backyard and and said yeah you can take it so my brother he came and told us about let's get this for dad for father's day this year well okay i had my dad's old 71 chevy and we somehow wrangled the pontoons the rusty old steel not aluminum steel steel pontoons and then all of the the framework for the the railings and so forth around it and we put all of the junk in the back of this uh and we wheeled it up and i don't know if the look on my dad's face was it wasn't all that excited because those <laughs> pontoons never got any further than my dad's backyard in the, in the suburbs of maple sawed so, the tops off and turned them into planters 
So, but I think that prompted him because a year or two after that, he, he sprung for uh, financing a, a new, you know, moderately sized to small pontoon boat, which we still have today. It's been dry docked a few years be, uh, because of motor troubles, but that's that goes with the territory. I, I can't imagine having a cabin without a older model boat and motor problems, whether it's a lawnmower. Of course, I've gone into that a couple of times, but lawnmower <laughs> or the boat. So the jury rigged the lawnmower as sort of a propulsion device for the pontoon. I, I often wished when we had that that tri-hull Larson. I kept thinking, man, wouldn't you know a two hundred horse? I'll, I would settle for a hundred. We'll put a hundred horse, anything, hot scat water. Get it on there, fire it up, and. I just remember my dad saying to me at one point, well, I've read the specs for the boat, anything higher than a 70. The front end will never see the lake again. <laughs> we'll be like, you know, sticking up, up out of the water, looking like something ridiculous. But boy, would we move. We'd oh. be flying. And, you know, as long as, I guess, if we'd throttle down, we'd probably sink. <laughs> and that, that could make a problem or two. But uh, yes, indeed. I, I will add out there, I know a lot of people listening are probably... Big-time canoers. Now, why did I feel like you had the canoe? Did you ever actually have a, a canoe proper, Fudd? It, oh, no. In your in your library. No, it was... But it, it did remind me of a uh, another vessel, and that was my dad's homemade duck boat. Hey, that's quite a flotilla. And oh, I, yes. I think that... Oh, yes. That's part of cabin country right there. Homemade. If you haven't tried making your own, you know, plywood, fiberglass... And then, you know, homemade duck boat. And uh, that was fun. And we, it worked, right? Yeah, it worked. It floated. My, uh, my, the same brother who encouraged me to go and pick up all the, the old uh, pontoon, uh, he and I spent many, many days on, uh, near the shores of Lake Osakis um, floating around that thing, in that thing, and uh, looking down in the shallow waters at all these, uh, what we imagined were prehistoric, bones of, well, old farmers' cows, as it turned out to be. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we collected those. And Dead Holstein. To my, to my mom's chagrin, we kept them in old paper shopping grocery bags in the garage up in the, up in the rafters. Collecting and, flies. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it, but it worked, and uh, eventually, uh, my dad's latest place on uh, the Gull River, it uh, just kind of sat off to the side near the river and just kind of... Kind became of one with the right. water. <laughs> it just slowly dissolved. went right. back to the earth. Yes, so it went to it went to homemade duck boat heaven. heaven. And uh, I kind of miss that old one. Every once in a while, I get the idea. Oh, make your own or Build make a canoe. So, but well, and and yeah, I know we've talked about this in the past. I mean, the early days for me, early days of lake country, cabin country, were the seventies, very early seventies. Right, and watching those. Old gentlemen, old gentlemen, you know, I'm going to guess, uh, you know, retirees in their seed corn caps with their pipes and their, and their rod and, and the homemade, homemade uh, pontoon coming by with, uh. with the 25 horse, you know, silver housing. I, I, I think Johnson made some that were silver, but the green, I'll never forget that sort of sea green, aqua green housing. And them coming by, you know, six thirty in the morning, and the sun's coming up, and the pipe is in his teeth, and leaving a trail behind him, and the coffee thermos, and the whole bit, and probably you know the stank of leeches on his mitts, and <laughs> fish guts, and a stringer behind the the one pontoon, and I do have a gift for gab, and at the risk of sounding long-winded, isn't uh, isn't this usually about that time? Thank you, Dad. Thank you. All right, good. That's that's uh, now it's a word for our sponsor. So hang tight, and we'll continue with Cabin Country in just a moment. You are a hunter, an angler, a friend of the backwoods. Any time spent away from the outdoors is time lost. The work world of 9 to 5 wears you down, makes you feel less effective, makes you feel like it's all falling apart. Forest 420, the elixir that can bring back your outdoor swagger. One two-ounce bottle of Forest 420 will restore personal alertness better than a double shot of espresso. Forest 420 will mask most hunter smells, making you invisible to your prey up in the deer stand or out on the drive hunt. It will improve your posture and make you feel taller, more in control. 
Forest 420 will return male and female vitality to those with flagging libidos, giving you back your blush of youth. 420 will help you stay odor-free on hot days or high-pressure work days when personal freshness is a sure sign of self-control and command of all situations. It will bring back follicular growth on hairlines that are receding, actually growing new hair where none existed in the past. Forest 420 will actually improve your eyesight, daily use having restored most minor vision issues back to 2020 within one month of use. 420 has been credited with bringing the powers of clairvoyance and clairaudience to some users. Now you know what they're thinking. Forest 420 is also a first-class carburetor cleaner for all engine systems, including most inboard and outboard marine motors. The road to daily success in life is clear, concise, and right in front of you. Forest 420. Wake up and smell the great outdoors today. Some of the ingredients in Forest 420 has been found to cause hyperactivity, bladder control issues, and occasional coma in lab rats in the state of California and province of Manitoba. Ask your doctor if Forest 420 is right for you. Hey, good looking. We'll be back with the Forest 420 for you later. I got a Forest 420, and I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Now back to Bjorn Lloydstedt. And Fudd Klugman on Cabin Country. Michael Bowes, hallelujah, you break my body and you blast my balls, you. Well, I recall at one point uh, the doc having to go in, and uh, we had a, a former brother-in-law up there with us who was very tall, and two pairs of waders. And thankfully, at that point, I was not quite tall enough to do the job in front of us. As uh, the lake had risen for some reason, I don't know if they'd like fiddled around at the Corps of Engineers with the the lock and dam or what. They put more water in the lake, kind of like they do on the Gull River every now and again, or they lower the level of the river. But our lake was high, and it was cold. It was probably mid-April, but we were getting an early jump on things because. That was how my dad did things. If it's early enough, the ice is out, by gad, let's get the dock in. We don't have to worry about it freezing over anymore. And so I got to kind of be the crew chief on the shore watching all this happen. Or maybe they just wanted me out of the way. I'm not quite sure. I wasn't quite old enough to be wearing the waders. But uh, I could help move sections down and fight with spiders. And then my former brother-in-law and my dad put on the waders and grab these sections, start going out in the water. And um, a lot of cat calls about how incredibly cold the water was because you can feel it right through the rubber of those waders. I mean, you've, you've enjoyed that, I'm sure, where you get oh, yes. the thrill of uh, very cold water hitting rubber. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Everything chilling down to... Feet get numb. Feet going numb, everything going numb. Well, anyway, so they got several sections out and kind of hooking them together with the the latching and then ratchet wrenches going a mile a minute and complaints and do we come in for coffee yet? No, 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 not done. And then uh, it turned out that the lake was high enough that on that last section of dock, my dad liked to do the uh, three, four sections out straight and then do the T, you know, kind of an L, a dog leg right. And uh, getting out that deep, it was it was starting to get a little close to the top of the waders. And... Uh, God love the early season fishermen who come by in the high-powered, low-riding bass boats, you know, at 11 o'clock in the morning or whatever. Um, but one came by, had a pretty good clip. I, I recall some rather colorful language. And then, of course, the thrill of the wake. The wake coming in uh, be yes. behind the boat and uh, maybe even a, a distant, sorry! <laughs> The language sorry, getting a lot. No, yeah, just sorry, no sorry. sorry doesn't cut it at this point. And there's there's a nice foot foot wake coming in, foot high wake uh, rolling in. And uh, I just remembered watching these two guys, my dad, and my brother in law, standing there. What? <laughs> <laughs> the wake crests over the top of the waders, and they they probably each shipped about a gallon and a half of ice cold water <laughs> into each pant leg, and uh, there was. <laughs> There was some yelling, there was some laughing, there was some shrieks of disbelief because, man, I'm, I'm told that was one of the colder experiences. And they came out in a hurry. I'd never seen two grown men 
<laughs> boogaloo out of the water quite that fast before. But, How fast uh, can you move with waders full of water? Yeah, you know, and then you worry about all the things you hear about, uh, you know, not to get too depressing, but the water filling up and oh, now you're going under, and, and thankfully none of that happened. Mm-hmm. None of that happened, but they, to quote the great Bob McKenzie, had a couple of soakers that were maybe 30 degrees <laughs> <laughs> up, up to the ankles. Um, on a different wavelength... You know, a whole nother story from, from yet another lake, you know, this time in, in the Twin Cities proper. And, and uh, an acquaintance who owned a lake home on the, on the Lake Jane, Lake Olson, DeMontreville Lakes. And putting in a dock when it was clearly warmer. You know, it's almost summertime now and mm-hmm. they were kind of late and they bought the house. And now we got to get a dock out and it's already, you know, mid-June or whatever. And uh, so the crew on this one, and I was in on this, you know, it was just swim trunks and ratchet wrenches and let's get out there and uh, try not to drop anything because it's still hurt. You know, they float, which is nice. You drop the dock session, it's just kind of sitting there slapping at the water. But uh, in this case, uh, apparently the shoreline right around here was was a popular area with uh, sunfish and perch of, of probably catchable and or filetable size, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, this guy I knew working on his dock and prouder and all get out of his new house and hey we're setting it up this is a beautiful thing and putting on the last couple you know twists of the, the ratchet wrench when all of a sudden he lets out this scream hey <laughs> what in the world is going on you see that sunfish and a pretty sizable a respectable panfish by my dad's you know measuring device he would have been oh hey let's get a line in the water that's a, that's a good looking <laughs> looking sunny but it had taken a chunk out of this guy and aimed right for the nipple <laughs> and i just remember couldn't believe it that sob bit me right on the nipple look at this <laughs> blood running down his chest <laughs> oh my god you know fish smelling the blood in the water here they come <laughs> jaws theme beginning to beginning to play in the background i'd never seen that before but, uh, piranha sunfish. Piranha sunfish. I don't know if it was a crappie, a pumpkin seed, I don't know, bluegill, I have no idea, but it had teeth and a mind all its own. So that was uh, made for an interesting interesting late morning, early afternoon. Don't want to tell any fishermen about that. They'd start, uh, well, was, yeah, I, I heard I heard the fisher bite nipples this uh, <laughs> right, right. Get the kids in the water. Hey, kid, get in. <laughs> Take your shirt off. Jump in the lake. I attract a few over. Now, you had kind of an interesting story from your family cabin, the dock inn, but your dad was kind of a guy who liked, even though a busy stretch of a river, kind of enjoys having that dock to himself to some extent, right? That's right, that's right. I'm, I'm thinking in particular of the raft. That's oh. <laughs> oh, that's crafty, right. Crafty ways to keep... Well, it's because we um, like to swim, uh, and we would clear off... I don't know if I get in trouble with the DNR with this, but well, we would, uh, you know. we'd drag some of the weeds out of there so we could have more of a sandy bottom Swimming to swim beach. In. But as a result, over time, it attracted fish. We stirred things up, and uh, we started catching fish off the dock, but the next thing you know, we'd see neighbor boaters and fishermen, instead of whizzing by, no, they would be trolling slowly and stop right near the dock. Well... You know, where, my, yes, my dad's a very private, likes his, you know, I mean, yes, the, the river's open to everybody, but, uh, you know, do you have to come within 25 feet of the dock? So these old these old codgers that would like to come by and look at the shore. How you doing tonight? I'm uh, just going to cast towards you here. They weren't even that uh, conversational. They just kind of <laughs> came in, and whether you were there or not, didn't really, you know. Anyway. Open water. My dad open water. Had, had enough and said, well, you know, I mean, I think I'm going to go and get that floating raft. You know, he attached it to an old anchor, a homemade anchor, that is, an old Folgers coffee can. Full of cement. Full of cement. Full of cement. You got to love it. Deep six it. it. And uh, so he dragged this big uh, circular blow-up uh, raft. Like the kind of thing the kids might jump off of. Yeah. Kind of bouncy exactly. and blue and yellow and... Is it a trampoline, or is it a raft, or is it both? Either way, my dad goes marching on the dock and gets his... He went to his... This, it was dog leg right on this dock. Okay, yeah. And yeah. so that was pointing toward these, these these two old codgers fishing 
nearby. So he went and he wound up and he uh, put the anchor as in a shot put. <laughs> track put, and field. Threw it out as far as he could. Fisherman's track and field. The uh, anchor went down and the raft kind of floated near the, the two fishermen. And uh, after a few minutes, and I don't even think they kind of looked over. They just sort of muttered, oh, it's, it's swimming. What throw it out there? Antisocial. So, yeah. So eventually they started up their motor and uh, put putted away. Not too far away. So, uh, yeah, my dad thought, you know, come on, the river stretches for miles. You could go somewhere else. Well, tip of the cap to creativity. I love the idea of, you know what, what you're doing isn't illegal, and neither is what I'm doing. <laughs> you're right. And maybe you'd like to jump on board the raft and, you know, sun your feet for a while, whatever, but get out of here. Get out of here. That's interesting. I did not, I mean, I did not know that... Uh, you know, dropping a bar behind a boat and harvesting lake weed to bring it ashore or whatever. I didn't realize that stirring it up kind of created new new territory for uh, interested fish. I think so. It stirred things up. And usually if you look down and see sunfish nests, they clear, and bass nests too in the spring, largemouth bass, they, they clear a little circular pattern and you can see the sandy bottom. I think it's because of all the uh, herbicides and different kinds of chemicals getting in the river over the years. The, the, the lake weeds have gotten really mucky, and so it's choking things out. So to uh, clear it out a bit, I think the fish are thinking, oh, this is, oh, this is nice. I can see the bottom again. You know, I like a little sand in my river. That's, at least that's what I imagine. That uh, could be. But it's, it's worked out. Easy, I mean, easier to see what they're going after. Now, I got to ask at this point, the uh, invasive anglers, were they in a classic kind of 12 to 16 foot aluminum boat with an old outboard on the back? Or were we looking at like, you know, the low riding Maserati bass boat with a 250 horse? Not at all. Not at all. No, they they had the old, uh, it was probably a Lund, red, aluminum, just a moderate sized motor. Not not too old. Yeah, it was just it was a fishing boat. These guys were fishermen, you know. They got the ball caps out there and the beer bellies and seed cap. And uh, yeah, <laughs> funk 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 Wagnalls hybrid or whatever. I don't even know what. <laughs> I used to remember these Far, farmer grandfathers. I used to all the different kind of funky uh, seed corn vendor caps these guys would wear. But uh, yeah, that's that's describing these guys to a T. To a T. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Don. Thank you for the heads up. And sure enough, it is time for a word from one of our sponsors. So stay tuned for more Cabin Country after this. This segment of Cabin Country is brought to you by Horseshoe Plug. That satisfying chaw you might share with Granddad. Horseshoe. You'll be hard-pressed to find a more pleasing wad. The King will help you reel them in. Teddy Elvis Rademacher is the premier fishing guide in Minnesota's Arrowhead region. Teddy knows the lakes of St. Louis, Cook, and Lake Counties better than any licensed guide in the North Country. He can take you to the walleye in Ely. He can find the proper structure in two harbors. And he's the best Elvis impersonator in North Central Minnesota. Ain't nothing but a down log. The King will find the fish and answer all of your angling questions while making you smile with the classic rockabilly hits that characterize the Memphis sound. I'm I'm caught up here, Ted. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm on a log or something. I got bleach. You're all hooked up. Oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. My my daredevil's stuck back in those lily pads. I'm going to cut the line. Don't be cruel. To a lure, that's true. Getting a little dark out here, King. You think uh, maybe we ought to head back in? Cook County rain keeps coming down. More worms ahead than I can drown. You're fishing too. And I call Cook County rain. Oh, ish. A pout. Should I, should I cut the line or just slam it against the boat? What do you want me to do? Well, that's all right, you part. That's all right with me. Teddy Elvis Rademacher will make every fishing trip a magical, musical experience. 
insist on booking the king. You're fishing too! <laughs> Forget it, my boat. Don't go on the lake or go fishing. Now back to Bjorn Lloydstad and Fudd Klugman in Cabin Cutter. I have a couple cousins that have got the huge rigs. They're definitely the guys that are speeding by and you're going, what the heck are you guys doing? Come on. Might, might see them on TV at some point on some invitational angling special. On they have their own uh, bass tournaments and everything. Sports channel number 16 or something. <laughs> this week, eel pout angling. Who knows? My neighbor up there, he built a platform at the end of his pontoon, and he takes his, his uh, bow fishing bow and uh, is uh, standing out looking for carp. And while he does that, he has a line in the water for, uh, for northerns or something. And it turns out that, uh, well, my cousin went whipping by and uh, cut my neighbor's line. You know? <laughs> he, he didn't, he didn't uh, intend to, didn't see it, but um, my cousin's... Uh, young daughter was there and uh, I found out later that it was her that had said dad I I, I think that guy's really mad at you back then. Hey! <laughs> so he turned around and uh, got close and uh, and he said oh I'm sorry I didn't see you. I, I'll buy you a new lure no oh, that, that's okay my, my neighbor didn't insist on it but uh, yeah you know you we're on a river and uh, the channel is right off our docks you know it drops down to 14 15 feet just uh, little ways off and that's where we catch all the northerns and crappies and so we're constantly casting in there and those guys you know you're traveling so fast they can't see the fishermen so yeah it can be tough now you've tried your hand at uh bow hunting carp right? a little bit yes i have what can you tell what can you tell us about that that i need to practice a lot more it's fun um but uh there is uh What's that called? The, the, the refraction of the water. You, you got to aim like... Below, it's like, right? Yeah, Underneath the fish. Like a good foot below, it right. seems like. Right, I was told when I purchased my, my rigging for my... I, I turned an old recurve into a fishing bow rather than pay $300 for a new one. Oh, come on. So, oh, yeah. It's... Think of those poor people in the factories in Taiwan. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, come on now. Well, I... Of course, I'm my, Creativity. My, my dad's son, so you yeah, just absolutely. Rig. Hey, I'm, I'm right there with you. And if it can't be fixed with rubber cement and a bolt, <laughs> it's not worth having. That's right. It's not worth having. But So a recurve. Yes, yeah, so an old recurve. It was like a 45-pound bow strength. And, well, I was talking to somebody who apparently was an expert. This was at a fleet farm. and uh, well, That's where you generally find the experts. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy told me, well, you know, you just get an old... Uh, you know, plastic milk jug. Fill it with water, tie it to a string and a weight, maybe, and, and have it just submerge under the water a little bit. And um, that's your that's your target. target I, I, I haven't done practice. that yet. I, I sh draw a bead on that jug. I, sh I should do that. Did, yeah. you, did you buy a sack of circus peanuts while you were at Fleet Farm? I may have gotten a small sack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have a heck of a deal on on multiple uh, snacks. They do. Just the huge candy yeah, section. Absolutely. But at any rate, I have taken a few shots and uh, with with no luck. It's kind of hard because yeah, you know, you you could be sitting there all day. I think the pros, you know, they, they go out at night and they've got lights under the water on this I've kind of a barge. I've or, seen that. Yes, like a pontoon basically, yes. and they're just slowly going by. The carp are attracted to lights. They're, so they're just kind of floating there, and you you kind of float up next to them. I, I don't understand. Are they attracted to the light or does it just show you where they are? Like, oh look, big slow moving bottom feeder. Nail it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. For me though, I've just, you know, at the end of my dock and uh, like I said, how many times have I said it's weedy? Well, there's some open spots and then you'd, oh there's one! And you see this huge black know, shadow dull looking carp slowly swimming by and you quick take aim and fire and miss it by two yeah, feet and you know there's no sign of it and it you looks just, at you and keeps going you reel in your 
your your orange line and the arrow attached to it. And I don't know why I always thought the arrows would be like tridents, you know, like you'd have a pitchforky kind of little tiny, but they're actually it's got like a yeah, it, it goes through and then there's like barbs that pop out, right? Right. And you, it's not getting away unless it leaves a good third of itself <laughs> right. floating in the water for yet another carp to perhaps ingest. Uh, yes. Or, or, I wonder if snapping turtles eat those. Well, snapping turtles will eat darn near anything. I imagine. That's what I figure. It's like, what? that's the question. What do you do with the carp once you, if you get it? You know, I don't think, I'm not going to eat it. They're not edible, are they? Well, I've seen people post all kinds of interesting recipes out there for carp. Wow. And uh, something to do with... Uh, Smoking. You have to smoke these things. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. I can't imagine how long you got to keep that lighter going to get a decent ash no one going on a carp. The draw would uh, not that kind of smoking. Okay, I understand. So you, you put it in a smoker. I don't know how long you have to smoke it. I, I did see something once, uh, some river fishermen who were down Mississippi, kind of near maybe St. Louis, Missouri. I don't know. Am I way off here? Again, once those phone lines open up. If That's right. And when those phone lines, feel free to call in and correct the... Hello, cabin country. You're wrong! The experts here, but uh, they were leaving it on, you know, a smoker, in a smoker, uh, long enough that uh, the meat looked almost uh, red. Wow. And and the people talking about it were suggesting it had a, a vaguely ham-like oh. flavor. But, uh, you know, I guess... It's one thing you could do, or you could also go buy a ham. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the ham that tasted vaguely of mud and fish. I just figure I would uh, pitch the thing out and say, "All right, I'm, I'm feeding the turtles, or absolutely, or, or put it in the garden." Oh yeah, there you go. Go old school, fertilize, fertilize the natural way. Absolutely. A good friend of mine in college was a big fan. You'd mentioned the the dreaded and recurring snapping turtle, and. Uh, he would go to a family cabin, I believe somewhere in northern Wisconsin. And the first thing they ever did when they got there, open everything up, get the pump running, get the lights on. They don't have the TV stations we remembered from our cabins, you know, one channel and it's barely coming in. And mm-hmm. there's hog reports and all that great stuff if you're turning it on at the right time. But uh, his first task was to take a really good-sized treble hook Almost kind of like like a it looks like a real small anchor, but they're mm-hmm. very sharp treble hooks. And um, he would load it up with uh, any rotten meat he'd somehow gotten his hands on. And then you you know you can buy these too at the angling shops. The sort of like flavored kind of foul smelling dough. It's like a, oh, yeah. it's like a bait dough for for. The rough fish, you know, you lure your carp back, uh, right. that kind of thing, suckers, sheep's head, all that good stuff, but also snapping turtles. And he said, I'd wait down this treble hook. Didn't even have to weight it down. It was big, it was metal, it was heavy. You just, it's going to sink. You know, he'd put it on either a super heavy test line, or I think he even joked once about a, a, a length of chain, you know, almost like a lightweight chain. And then through this thing, he'd, he'd anchor it to the shoreline, weight it down with every rancid smelling piece of what used to be food and or this dough you could imagine he you know heft that thing out in the lake as far as he could and then just go in for them and then they'd you know play a game or make popcorn we're gonna watch a movie tonight whatever and he said you'd wake up in the morning and start pulling in that line and it was a lot heavier and we threw it out and uh, sometimes you got some movement on it or you know you felt like you were basically dragging up a small car <laughs> and uh, invariably there was a snapping turtle hanging on that thing usually pretty good sized and then then the fun began with not losing a hand as you take the thing's head off <laughs> you know he talked about like nailing it by the tail head down headless stump of a neck, you know, down towards the ground, leaving it nailed to a tree for however many hours. Wow. And then, you know, prying off the carapace and starting the cleaning process and all this kind of things. I've even seen people, you know, on some of the, the fishing shows, like take a, a air compressor hose and inflate the skin. So it just, you know, pulls away from all the... Oh, my God. All those good edible parts. You know, there's about 19 different types of meat on a turtle. 
and uh you know once you can get that skin off and 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 yeah i don't know you know it, it sounds interesting and then of course you got to save the shell oh sure know, it's kind of a trophy start putting these shells up around the shoreline or whatever maybe you throw them out in the lake become structure i don't have any idea but uh huh i can't say i've ever eaten turtle i've eaten a lot of things i don't think i've ever eaten turtle i think there are many things that are more edible than we think it's uh i think most people think well you eat walleye here in minnesota anyways it's like that's the preferred fish uh, eat the walleye everything else is too fishy or just dirty, disgusting disgusting fish but there were there were several species that if they came into our boat one of the one of the elder males in the in our <laughs> in our little group was going to take that thing off the hook or not bother taking it off the hook and beat it to death on the side of the boat <laughs> and and the the, the uh. classic for that in in our family the bullhead which uh. is ironic because where i grew up my neighbor loved bullheads would always say no 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 bring them back bring them back i want I'll take those bullheads. But then, uh, and I swear to you, to this day, I have never seen one. Huh? I have never seen one. But my dad talked about the number of times he'd reach down to grab that leader and pull up what was there. And what was on the end of that line would wrap around his arm and Ooh. reek of fish <laughs> oil. And it was a good old-fashioned land of 10,000 lakes eel pout. Yeah. He said, if I had an eel pout or... or the green fish, the dogfish, eel powder, a dogfish. Oh, he yes. was gonna that thing. You were gonna hear a drum solo like you'd never heard. He was beating that fish to death on the side of the boat, and I think the seagulls loved my dad. They'd just follow our boat. My dad would do that with perch for some reason. He'd. Uh... My dad always swore perch were full of worms. Oh, they're full yeah. of worms. You look in the bottom of that fish, the light side, the underside of that fish. Every dot you see, there's a worm in that fish. Right. So... Beat it to death. But yet in places like South Dakota, Spirit Lake, Devil's Lake, they catch very large perch, and they're very clean, and it's like quite a... Same family as the walleye, right? Well, there you go. You know, the bullhead reminded me of that. Instead of a, a treble hook and rotten meat and waking up the next day and pulling in a snapper, after we'd go fishing in the morning for bass, as my dad was making breakfast... I would cast out just a worm on a hook and a bobber out into the, this bay. And uh, invariably, after breakfast, I'd come out and there'd be a fish on it. And it was a bullhead. So I prob I don't remember getting the fish off myself. I'm sure I enlisted Dad. You know, the, the thing's got the... <laughs> I need your help, Father. Dad, uh, now I... But I felt all excited. Like, wow, how neat, you know, something that's happening while you're away. And you pull it in. And it's so exciting, but uh, but it sounds like the bullheads are another fish that, uh, according to uh, Mr. Dave Basanko, it's... Uh, you remember Dave? Yeah, you remember Dave? You've He's, met him. Uh, or maybe you've read him. Author of uh, Fish of Minnesota, correct? That's right. I'm looking... Classic oh, yeah, angler's guide, and usually the pages are coated in plastic. So if you got it in the boat, and it's raining, or whoops, there it went off the stern, you can fish it back out, and dry as... It's kindling. Here we go. It's the smallest and most abundant of our three bullhead species. They get little respect from most anglers, says Dave. But they are tasty and often larger than most of the panfish taken home to eat. So, well, there you go. Uh, I don't know how you clean it. I don't think they have scales. They don't have scales. No, no. So, well, my, and they're a very wide mouth with the, uh, oh, yes. the, the whiskers. And uh, the, the moniker my. Dad used to refer to the the lovely bullhead as rubber mouth. Uh. Oh, geez, I got a or Smiler. Oh no, we got a Smiler on the line. Oh, <laughs> look at this! And they came. I kid you not. It looked like it was grinning when it came up out of the water. Oh yeah. Kind of the the uh, physical makeup of the of the head of a, any of the catfish. They all look like they're grinning at you. I always wondered if it uh, looks like what they. It's called barbels. These uh, they look kind of Asian uh, around their mouth, and I always thought maybe they can sting you, but. Well, that, that's a popular myth, isn't it? I mean, supposedly some of these do have some kind of little, almost like a, a barb near the corner of their mouth. And, and you can allegedly get some kind of painful sting from these things. But, I, you know, is that true or is that just uh, a common misnomer out there amongst people that just hate bullfish, bullheads, excuse me, 
uh, as as violently as did my father. Unfortunately, we got Dave, nothing. Dave we got, doesn't say we got anything nothing. about that. I, again, uh, another former in-law of mine talked about at one point walking along a dock barefoot, kicking into a long dead bullhead. <laughs> now, I for one, if I'm walking down a dock in my bare feet, probably don't want to kick into an old <laughs> rotten fish that's laying there. In fact, I'll try to avoid it. But he claimed his big toe swelled up like a grapefruit. Oh, my gosh. Well, then there's something, there's there, something there going on there. There might be something to this. But again, like I said, you know, we talk about, ah, we caught we're rubber mouths and we beat them to death on the side of the boat and the neighbor just, bring them back. I'll <laughs> take them. Are you kidding me? That's good eating. <laughs> hmm. Well, Fudd, I've got one more fish story for us here tonight, but I can see that Don is giving me the glad eye and looking like he's about to push some buttons on the control panels here, so I think possibly we will hear that story as soon as we come back after this word from our sponsors. Sleep. Perhaps the most important thing in your life. A good night's sleep is more important than just about anything else. White noise and ambient sounds have become calming and soothing sleep producers for many people in our world. Gentle rainfall, sighing winds, the calm hum of a gas furnace. All of these sounds have value in helping you sleep. Why not find your calming ambient sounds in your favorite place, the wondrous outdoors? Drift off to dreamland while listening to the ambient sounds of the Woodland Mystic 2000. The Woodland Mystic generates such soothing sleep sounds as the bedside sleeping Springer, the old TV that has reception problems, the hum of the five-horse outboard, and your friend, the old yellow chainsaw. Nothing helps you succeed in life like a steady sleep cycle, and nothing results in restful slumber like effective ambient sound. The Woodland Mystic 2000 awaits you. Drift off with it tonight. On a certain evening, he sat in his well-furnished room talking to his two henchmen, Spike and Gabby. In the town of Cross Lake proper, there's a couple different bridges that go across channels, so traffic can get over the water. And I was standing there leaning on the railing, right there in front of uh, C&C Boat Works, beautiful Cross Lake, Minnesota, and there's a bridge. It's wide enough for two lanes of traffic, and there's a bike lane, and there's pedestrian concrete and railings, and some people fish off this bridge. And it's a very busy channel, very busy channel, going from the end end two lakes then out into cross and then from cross you start hitting the big lakes you know lake lakes with names like upper and lower whitefish and big trout and all this good stuff but i'm showing this to my son who of course is four at the time and he's fascinated that there's ice cream <laughs> and i'm like no look at the beauty of this area and the lakes and the sun is setting and oh the trees and you can hear the wind and i look down to the water and there's a dead two-thirds of some kind of fish, a good-sized fish that apparently someone like my rather angry father had gotten a hold of and said, I don't want this, beat to death on the side of the boat, snapped the head off, and, and there it was floating in the water. Uh-huh. And kind of a, kind of a, there were no boats coming through. And I was just looking down in the water thinking, what in the world is that? Is that like a sheep's head or we got part of a, you know, northern, maybe that crazy giant snapping turtle got into somebody's bait bucket ripped the head off this northern and they said oh to heck with it and just threw it i don't floating there bobbing on the water and all of a sudden i saw this huge black shape come up from under the water and i mean i'm 10 15 feet up above the surface of the water on this bridge and it was a carp or some kind of catfish Mm -hmm. some kind of bottom feeder and it i'm gonna guess from where i was standing was probably you know three four feet long wow and this thing came up and i saw this big smiley mouth open up and the rest of that fish disappeared and there was a tail and a big swirl of water and i just saw this black shape go back down underwater. Wow. and my son of course is counting bobbers that are hanging on the power lines over the water look dad there's another one you didn't see that oh my gosh that was amazing something big came up and then i thought you know what i'm not going to say that right because then he'll never get in a lake again <laughs> i was going to say uh would have given them nightmares maybe Maybe. And it, uh, you know, we weren't in a cabin. We were staying in a tent in the Corps of Engineers campground and uh-huh. listening to the jet skis and cavorters enjoying their beer 
around a campfire until 3, 4 in the morning. He slept like a log, and of course I sat there going, was it always this loud? <laughs> I don't remember. Anyway, what are you going to do? Well, I know there is talk of, you know, some possible subjects here on Cabin Country. We've thought, you know, what do we do when the weather turns bad, especially in the smaller cabins of, uh, you know, the non-McMansion version, but or even in your McMansion version, should you have one. But I think instead we're going to take a moment and, and revisit a, a segment we like to do here on Cabin Country that's it's gotten some nods from some of our faithful listeners. We call it the Schmidt Scenic Collection Moment. Time once again. Time once again to dig deep into Beer Can Collector's past, the infamous Schmidt Scenic Collection. I've paid homage to the great Ray Scott. He used to do the ads for these and the midst of Twins games, Vikings games, and uh, for the young buck that liked to run around and dumps out in the woods and find vintage beer cans that Look what I almost stepped in. meant I wasn't sleeping properly at night. I was so excited about these cans. I got the whole collection. You folks already know this. We're going to dig deep into the box again and see what comes up and what stories we might be able to share from the Schmidt Scenic Collection. So, dare I dig foot? Yes, I think it's time. Don, let's roll the the intro music. Oh, look at that, will you, huh? The infamous Schmidt Scenic with the speedboat at full tilt and a young man shredding it up on water skis behind the boat. He's well outside the wake. Cutting a, cutting a fine figure on the one ski. He's slaloming, Fudd. He's slaloming. Right. And that boat, that speedboat, oh, hey, of course, on a closer inspection, there's a driver. He's got a red uh, shirt uh, cut on top of the shoulder, no sleeves. All right, gun show. And there does seem to be a, uh, <laughs> a blonde up. girl wearing a, at least a yellow top of a bikini. Wow. And what, what kind of a boat would you say? Was that tri-hull? I'm going to look at this, but I'm looking at this. I'm seeing what I would have to call probably a mid-60s. That's a V-hull. And, you know, probably your typical Lund or Larson V-Hull. Uh, if it was... Ah, I wish I could remember. Glastron. Glastron used to make these speedboats that had this really unique kind of cutaway design in the back. Different colors. Kind of going back to the uh, the stern of the vessel. This, oh, yeah. this looks like a good old-fashioned kind of that racing style, early 60s. You know, clear, molded windshield and... Uh, Kind of a short nose, definitely a V-hull. The end is up, they're they're ripping it up, and we can't see the outboard. I guarantee you this is probably an outboard, given the, the time of the artwork. But uh, yeah, this guy's, he's not wearing a life jacket, he's wearing the life ring, which was all, all the rage with water skiers who are really good. Just <laughs> sort of that skinny little flotation belt you put around the top of your... Your, uh, your trunks. Swim trunks, you'd have to call these swim trunks, certainly. That's right. Uh, yeah, and I'm, there's there's the guy in his red shirt. It's gun show. Sun's out, guns out. He's uh, he's flexing. <laughs> Looks like they're going by some cabins in the background on kind of a point, and I see sailboat masts off in the distance. They're in the middle of the lake. This guy's kicking up quite a fantail of water as he cuts an edge through the water with that slalom ski. Now, I know, Fudd, you talked about uh, early days with uh, the first speedboaty type thing your family had something probably quite similar to this boat with a with a woefully underpowered motor on the back that's right i think we shared stories about that but yeah ours was uh it was probably a later model than this but it um was smaller and i i can't remember the size of the engine but boy it barely got us 13 14 year old boys out of the water i mean it was it was enough and get outside the wake, but we couldn't be uh, ripping up a huge fantail like this guy is doing. Big curtain of water, you're not going to be doing that at no, of course, 15 miles an hour? Never developed that skill. I think we Never tried I. to slalom, kick yeah. off the one ski, Yeah, and uh, that usually meant we were wobbling a bit and then toppling over in the water, but it was fun to try. Good old-fashioned full-speed head slap into the, into the water. Yes. I, I seem to remember, too, that this boat kind of, you know, what do you call it, listed to one side? Or sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was did never it, did quite Did it list even. port or list starboard? Do you remember? Fun? Uh, left. 
Okay. Left. You're, you're <laughs> it wasn't leaf, front or You're back. listing hard to port. Uh, yeah, I guess so, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But we had a uh, Larson, probably about a 16-foot, but it was, again, fiberglass, tri-hull, very stable, and it had a 50-horse Johnson wow. engine on the back of that thing, and it was the kind of deal where my dreams were realized there was a throttle right by the steering wheel. You weren't, you know, one arm back and (laughs) waving that tiller. It was, no, 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 no. I got a steering wheel. I got a throttle. We got reverse. We got the whole bit. So I loved to drive it. But at the same time, we all enjoyed water skiing. That was a very, very early purchase with the speedboat. We got to get water skis. My sister closest to me in age, uh, she and her husband would come up frequently, and they were both water ski aficionados. They really enjoyed it. Done quite a bit of it in White Bear Lake as they were growing up, and and suddenly the cabin for them became a place they wanted to be because now the weather was good and the lake was calm or even a little choppy. Let's get out on the skis. And so that kind of became a thing. And uh, I learned how to water ski, you know, and, and we got to the point, too, where um, the lake we were on was narrow but long. And so it was really kind of a people on the chain loved to use it as a drag strip. You know, so-and-so got a new boat and this one's got a ski master or whatever we're going to... They just open it up and fly side by side down the lake and everybody try to get the heck out of the way. But water skiers loved it. It's a great place. Jet skiers mm-hmm. loved it. You know, just they absolutely loved it. And uh, it was great for it. And we got to the point where, well, you can start in the water if you'd like to. But we watched our neighbors. We had these neighbors that had a they had a glastron with an inboard. That thing really took off. It was probably eighteen feet long. And three daughters, and kind of we, we always jokingly referred to them as Charlie's Angels. They were young, fairly attractive, and every boat that came by was full of teenage boys looking at them and slowing down. Hey! <laughs> like a Mr. Microphone commercial. Hey, good looking. We'd like to pick you up later. And they'd all wave. <laughs> they were all ridiculously good water skiers. One of them even had the short trick skis where dad would be pulling them around on the lake, and the eldest daughter, and then even the middle daughter late teenage and, and maybe 16 or so they'd be doing like spinning around you know mm-hmm. backwards sideways all this crazy stuff wave hopping and all this stuff and it was just like wow they're really good at this and we watched them they never started from in the water they would always sit on the edge of their dock with the skis in the water yell hit it and all of a sudden you know the throttle would go and they pop up like a cork and, and so we started doing that I, my I I don't think my brother-in-law... My brother-in-law was a little too heavy for it. The motor was... It was 50 horses. It wasn't, you know, a supersonic... You know, General Electric. Yeah, this thing could power a, a 737 or something. But it, he would start in the water. It would still get him out of the water and moving. Um, same with my dad. My dad, actually, for being an old farmer, really liked to water ski. He was <laughs> not bad at it. Um, but they would never start off the dock. I would. My sister would. And... Uh, Sometimes I'd have friends up, and I just remember one of my friends was was very good at slalom water skiing, and so we'd haul him around, and he'd drop a ski, and doing the big walls of water as he's cutting edges and all this kind of stuff. And his thing was to to signal, you know, thumb down for, okay, kill it, and I'm I'm done now. He'd drop the tow rope, and he would head right for the dock. I just remember my dad always being like, "Oh my gosh, what's he doing?" And he would end up. His goal was to try to land again on the dock, sit mm-hmm. down on the dock. And that never quite worked out, but he'd always be within two feet of the dock. And I remember we took him home after that, we had a bunch of my friends, and dropped them all off. And he was like, boy, I hope that kid, I don't know, man. That I thought he was going to go right into the dock, and we had a lawsuit coming and <laughs> call the you know, ambulance and the whole bit. And he knew exactly what he was doing. But the thing I loved the most was when you were behind the boat and, you know, top speed or whatever, and right down the middle, if you were riding like the bubble path from behind the propeller. Right. And it was just kind of like this little rattle on your feet and brrr, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and then the thrill became, okay, I'm going to cut outside the wake and I'm going to get out of here on the, the waves and mm-hmm. kind of ride it, slap around a little bit and then cut back in. Actually got quite good at cutting back in and out of the wake on two skis. The next step, obviously, was learn how to drop one and, and have more fun. But it right. just, I never quite got to the point where I was like, I want to do this. I was just like, nah, I'm, I'm good, you know? Two boards, I'm good. I don't know. Well, maybe it's a good time to take a break and hear from a sponsor or two and then think about where this week's cabin country will be headed next. Fudd, thoughts? Sounds good, yeah. 
Don, I think you'll have to cue us up for a break, and we'll hear a word from our. You're on the job, Don. Let's go. Sponsors. Let's let's see what you got. Cabin Country would like to thank you for making the Cabin Country Podcast the number one podcast on GSPN, the Gas Station Podcast Network. If your favorite gas station doesn't play Cabin Country while you are at the pumps filling your tank, please tell them that you want to hear Cabin Country while you gas up. Nothing says gas like Cabin Country. Celebrating the 4th of July, our nation's birthday. What a better place to do it than the great North Woods. Fun, fireworks, and fanfare. Who better to celebrate it with than good old Lloyd? Well, it's great to be with you here in the Gull River for the annual 4th of July pontoon boat parade. Everybody's got their pontoons decorated to celebrate our country's freedom. Oh, it just makes me proud. And thanks again for letting me be here to start you all rolling. And I think it'd be fitting if I started with the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, say can you see my... Oh, they're taking off. Be careful out there, folks. And why not stick around and join good old Lloyd as he thinks back to some of his fondest memories from Fourths of July past. Standing up here this evening, I'm filled with so much pride. Proud to be an American and looking out amongst all you and getting ready to see the... Are we going to start those already? Hey! We weren't supposed to start yet! I'm supposed to talk about my memories. Jeez, that was coming right at me! Sit down, Lloyd. Even on the 4th of July, that's Lloyd. Good old Lloyd. Well, welcome back to Cabin Country. Boy, uh, Fud, we, we covered a lot tonight. We, kinda, we got a lot of water under, sure under the hull as we went along. Yes. What is it we're looking for for next week, Fud? What are we thinking about? Well, I know we've been talking about uh, what, what do you do when heavy weather comes. When the gales start blowing. And we've had some heavy winds, a lot of trees down and along the Gull River. Wild so weather. We'll, we'll touch on that. And, and then after you've cleaned up all the trees that are down, we get back to the indoor decor. Of the cabin? Right. How are we going to to meet with everybody's approval? And can that be done? That's a tough one. Every time I see something that I think, hey, that would look nice up at the cabin, then I remember that my dad's got every square inch of the wall space covered with something. So um, that and, of course, more uh, scenics. Uh, Schmidt Scenic Collection continues to live on. Seems to be kind of a fan favorite. I know Don's a big fan. Yes, he is. And why wouldn't he? That's right. We're also looking forward to having Buck Fielding step in, and um, he's a little bit more of a avid fisherman, at least on the big water. Possible talk about uh, resorts. That's cabin right. Country past. Resort land and cabin country, and there's there's the talk about the past. Native America cabin country. That's right. Before, before it was rose up. cabin country, it was wigwam and teepee country, and absolutely wild ricing. That's right. Well, the fire is starting to kind of die down tonight, and uh, the coffee pot's empty at this point. It's probably a little late to start a second pot. I've had my fill. Did I say second? Perhaps fifth pot? Yeah, one of those. We'll be awake for the next week. That's all good, (laughs) but we'd like to thank you much for joining us tonight on Cabin Country, and uh, we'll let the embers burn down, we'll let the screen door slam shut. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.